This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Friday, January 17th, 2020. On this day in 1977, 36-year-old Gary Gilmore was executed by firing squad. He was the first person executed by the state after capital punishment was reinstated in the U.S. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the death of Gary Gilmore, the first death row execution in the US after a 10-year moratorium on capital punishment. Let's go back to Utah State Prison on January 17, 1977. It had taken months for Gary to receive the punishment he believed he deserved. All manner of folk, his former defense attorneys, the ACLU, the NAACP, even his own mother had tried to intervene on his behalf, tried to stop his death from coming. But Gary didn't want any of their help. He'd done the crime, shot both those boys, and now it was time for retribution. He said, I was given a fair trial. The sentence was proper. I'm willing to accept it like a man and wish it to be carried out without delay. And yet, delays were rampant. He was supposed to die last November, then December. Now it was a whole new year. With each postponement, Gary grew more despondent. Twice, he tried to carry out the deed himself, just to make the saga end. But both times, the guards had saved him from death's release. He couldn't stand it. The activists, the sentencing board, the newspapers, all insisting he should fight to stay alive, as if a life behind bars was any kind of life at all. Gary had already spent roughly 18 years of his life locked up for various crimes. Now, given the choice, He embraced death over living in a cage. He knew what he was asking for. He complained, It seems like the people, especially the people of Utah, want the death penalty and they don't want executions. And when it became a reality that they might have to carry one out, well, they started backing off on it. Well, I took them literal and serious when they sentenced me to death. When he was sentenced to die in October of 1976, the state of Utah offered only two options, a noose or a firing squad. Worried that a hanging would be too easily botched, Gary chose the bullet. Now, the night before the sentence was to be carried out, some of Gary's relatives came to say their goodbyes. The warden let them gather in the prison mess hall. He'd asked for a six-pack of beer as his last meal, 
but was given steak and potatoes instead. Still, he had a final libation. His uncle Vern allegedly smuggled in a few shooters of whiskey. It gave the phrase, in good spirits, a whole new meaning. And Johnny Cash, Gary's favorite singer, called to talk to him. He'd followed Gary's case in the news and offered to sing him a song on his last night on earth. When it came time to bid his brother, Michael, farewell, he kissed him and said, see you in the darkness. Just before 8 a.m. on January 17th, the guards came to retrieve Gary from his cell. He wore a black t-shirt, white pants, and red, white, and blue sneakers. His face was freshly shaved. The guards escorted him to an abandoned cannery in the southwest corner of the prison yard, nicknamed the Slaughterhouse. They sat him in a wooden chair, mahogany with a black vinyl seat, and loosely tied his wrists, feet, waist, and neck to it. Behind the chair were several sandbags to catch any stray bullets. The warden pinned a black paper circle over Gary's heart so the firing squad would know where to aim. The priest administered his last rites, then asked if Gary had any final words. He replied, let's do this. Then they placed a black corduroy hood over his head. 26 feet away hung a large curtain with five holes cut into it. The five shooters, all police officers who had volunteered for the role, positioned their 30 caliber Winchester rifles through the slots. Neither Gary nor his executioners would see his death. The countdown began. Ready, aim. Catherine Ramsland wrote in her coverage of Gary's death, there were three distinct shots. His head went forward into the strap, his right hand delicately lifted, then dropped. The spectators he'd requested to witness the event watched as blood flowed from his heart down his shirt and onto the floor. The doctor went forward to listen and said that he was still alive. In 20 more seconds, it was over. At 8.05 a.m., a prison official announced to a sea of waiting reporters the sentence had been carried out. Gary Gilmore was dead. Coming up, the debate about capital punishment in America. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On January 17, 1977, 36-year-old Gary Gilmore was executed by firing squad. His death is notable because he was the first person to receive capital punishment after a 10-year halt on the death penalty in the U.S. The ban began in 1967, but was officially upheld in 1972 
when the Supreme Court heard Furman v. Georgia. The defendant, William Furman, had been sentenced to death for killing a man while robbing him. Furman claimed the murder was accidental. He'd shot blindly during the home invasion and hadn't intended to kill the homeowner, William Mickey. But because Furman had killed Mickey during a robbery, which was a felony, he was automatically eligible for capital punishment under the felony murder rule. In a one-day trial, Furman was found guilty and sentenced to death. He appealed the ruling all the way to the Supreme Court, and on June 29, 1972, in a 5-4 decision, they ruled capital punishment unconstitutional. Justice Potter Stewart wrote in his decision, these death sentences are cruel and unusual in the same way that being struck by lightning is cruel and unusual. For of all the people convicted of rapes and murders, many just as reprehensible as these, the petitioners are among a capriciously selected random handful upon whom the sentence of death has in fact been imposed. I simply conclude that the Eighth and Fourteenth Amendments cannot tolerate the infliction of a sentence of death under legal systems that permit this unique penalty to be so wantonly and so freakishly imposed. This ruling led to a temporary moratorium on all capital punishment nationwide. But the backlash was immediate. The American people apparently wanted criminals put to death if the situation warranted such punishment. This was Potter's real issue after all, that the death penalty wasn't uniformly applied, but rather subject to the whims of the courtroom. So soon after Furman v. Georgia, states passed their own laws with standardized guidelines for doling out death sentences. In 1976, after polling showed that the majority of Americans wanted some form of capital punishment, the Supreme Court ruled again. They reinstated the death penalty under a model of guided discretion. With this ruling, most states now have a list of conditions when considering first-degree murder cases. A few common circumstances that make defendants eligible for the death penalty are lying in wait or ambushing, poisoning, committing multiple murders, or killing an officer of the law or an officer of the court. When Gary Gilmore was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder on October 7, 1976, he was sentenced to death. His was the first execution carried out since the Furman ruling. And while Gary was satisfied, insisting that he wanted to die with dignity, those around him tried desperately to keep it from happening. The ACLU and NAACP in particular worried that Gary's death would set a dangerous precedent. While Gary had voluntarily foregone any appeal process, what message would this send the courts for those who came after him? Even if Gary wouldn't appeal, they would do so on his behalf. Two different sets of lawyers managed to secure two different stays of execution, but they received no gratitude from Gary. Each time his sentence date was pushed back, he reportedly tried to take his own life. He'd accepted his fate and no one was going to keep him from it. In 2019, 
29 states allow for capital punishment. According to the Death Penalty Information Center, 1,499 people have been executed in the U.S. since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime.